Think critically about the choices that you make in your life, whether it's with work, with your housing, with whatever. Be bold and daring enough to ask crazy questions and challenge those assumptions and be willing to incur some costs to make changes in a positive direction for your life. You're listening to The Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Good Dirt on this January Friday. We're so glad to have you. Mom, what have you been up to these cold, cold days? Yeah, it's been very wintry and nice, and we've really been enjoying the snowy weather, been keeping the fireplace going, and taking some long walks with the dogs. The dogs love the snow. It's really fun. What have you been cooking lately? Ah, yeah. Well, we've been having... Lots of wonderful winter dishes, soups and broth, and a recent favorite has been pot roast cooked with all the winter vegetables. And as you know, I made sourdough crust last week and we made pizza. We topped it with all kinds of yummy things like onion and garlic and kale, feta, olives. It was all so good. What about you? Well, I've been making a lot of sourdough bread. I've really gotten the hang of that and that's been fun. And lots of soup. And, you know, I've been doing pretty much every week I do a roast chicken, really easy, and then I make bone broth out of it. We have a great blog about this on our blog on the Lady Farm website, all about you roast the chicken and then you make the broth. And just like between those two things, you just have so many meals. Yeah. Chicken for days and then broth, obviously, for days. And you could use the broth and all kinds of things. And it's just so delicious. And I feel like I'm getting so much bang for my buck when I do that. Yeah. If anybody wants to look it up, the blog is called seven days of easy real food winter meals and it has the shopping list and everything you need and uh, roasted chicken beef stew all the vegetables how to plan and cook for the leftover meals including soups and salads and yeah it's cool because it's all really low waste simple ingredients and you know you can do it all without processed food and relatively easy and while it's slow cooking and it takes a long time it's relatively low cooking time yeah. you know low prep complicated yeah So it's really all the best of winter warmth and flavors. Yes, simple is the key. And that's what we're going for with the Lady Farmer lifestyle. We want to learn how to eat well, be well, and live well with less of the things we don't need and more of the things that we want that create the life that we really want to be living. Sometimes, though, it's really hard to sift through all the excess of our daily lives in these times. And to even be able to know what those things are that we really want to live and experience, we have to get to a place where we're asking ourselves those questions 
about what we want to experience day after day. Something that some of our listeners might not be aware of is that we actually have a book out written by my mom and it's called The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. It's a lovely little book that's full of little tips and guidance and I just love it. Yeah. And I thought, well, because of today's topic and we're already talking about these things, I might read just a little bit from the introduction to give people an idea of what it is. So here we go. This is from the introduction to The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in the very beginning. Our own understanding of slow living has to do, quite simply, with making conscious choices about how we live our lives. It's about paying attention to how we spend our time, money, and resources, and taking a step back from the industrialized systems that have come to provide our daily needs. It's also about observing our own consumer habits, where and how they intersect with quality of life, and how they perpetuate an unsustainable paradigm. So that really fits in today with our episode. And by the way, if you're interested in getting your own copy of the book, you're in luck because we're now offering free shipping for Good Dirt listeners. So we'll say the code later on in this episode. So make sure you stay tuned. So about those questions, asking ourselves what the life we really want to live actually looks like. How do we want to spend our time and what do we want our daily experience to be and all of those things. On today's episode, we're talking with someone who actually did ask those questions early in his adult life. And he realized that the path he was on, the path that he had in fact been preparing for all along, which was to do well in school and find a good job and all of that, was not what was going to make him happy. So he did something completely countercultural and embraced a pared down minimalist lifestyle that he's going to tell us all about. Living in only 150 square feet over years, Ryan Mitchell has learned a thing or two about living simply. From shifting to self-employment, downsizing, life simplification practices, and designing a life that's right for you, Ryan's experience and practical knowledge is an example to anyone interested in these things to create a more sustainable lifestyle. He built his own tiny house in 2012, learning as he went along, which inspired him to help others in their journey to live small. Today, he teaches others all about tiny living and how to live simply through his website, The Tiny Life which provides a wealth of knowledge and guidance on numerous aspects of simple living. As a best-selling author, he's been featured in the New York Times, BBC, Associated Press, Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Mother Earth News, Tree Hugger, and NPR. We were really impressed with Ryan and find him such an amazing example for making conscious choices about how to live in today's world and, and creating the life that each individual wants for themselves. Truly amazing. So we hope you enjoyed this conversation as we did. And here's Ryan. So my name is Ryan Mitchell. I run a website called The Tiny Life uh, at tinylife.com. And there I talk a lot about simple living. Uh, Simple living can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But the way that I came to it was the tiny homes. And that kind of started back in 2009 
kicking off the Great Recession. We can get more into that a little bit later. <laughs> but that was a like a key moment for me in, in realizing something had to change. And from there, it's been a wild ride and learned a lot about what I wanted in life, how to live a little bit more simply, a whole bunch of tiny house stuff to boot. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. So what were you doing before then? Before then, my journey was pretty typical, right? It was kind of the standard narrative we're all sold is go to school, get good grades. That will get you into college. You get your degree, you go get a nice job, find someone to marry, red car, (laughs) 2.5 kids, you know, all that kind of stuff. The American dream. And quickly... I realized that, you know, the way it was not maybe the way it would be in the future. So at the time I was working in human resources, mainly recruiting for a company in traditional white collar job. Mm-hmm. And six months into that first, like, you know, career adult job felt like I was really catching my stride, you know, doing this adulting thing really well. And then boom, here comes the recession and the company closed. Wow. Yeah. So you got directly, like you just, you lost your job, you were left hanging. It was one Friday afternoon, the boss came in and said, hey, we're closing the company. You're all out of a job, effective now. Pack cardboard boxes, hand it out, pack up your desk. And I just remember standing in the parking lot like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Right? Yeah. Rent, bills, I got student loan payments, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, for me, I was actually in a, a much better position because I was young. I didn't have a family at that point. I didn't have a mortgage. I was just renting. Mm-hmm. And didn't have all those bills, you know, that a lot of my coworkers had. So it was traumatic for me, but I knew the financial hardship that just felt by yeah. everyone in that company was just really significant. And luckily, I was able to find a job pretty quickly after that, but I know a lot of people weren't. And in the great recession, you know, like a lot of people lost their jobs, they lost their homes. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of financial troubles, which I know led to a lot of like breaking up of marriages and things like that. So just a lot of negative things that came out of that. Yeah. So you were able to find a job pretty quickly, but you were very struck by this moment in time and it really kind of woke up something in you. Did it inform your very next step, like the very next job you got, or was that a little later on? So I knew I needed to make a big change. Mm -hmm. What that change was, I didn't know right off the bat, but I just like said, okay, this fundamentally is not the plan that I I thought it was, right? Yeah, this is not what I I, ordered. (laughs) It's not what they said. The narrative sold to me, right? And I think this is sold to me. It's like, hey, you get a degree, you, mm-hmm. you get a job, you work hard at that job. And if you're smart, talented and work hardworking, you will have job security and ultimately financial success and happiness ha- and happiness, right? Like, yeah, all that <laughs> yeah. supposed yeah. supposed to uh-huh. equate to happiness and fulfillment mm-hmm. and things like that. And I, I realized that may not be the case. So at that point, I said, okay, something's got to change. Obviously, I had bills and things like that. So I quickly scrambled, got a new job. But then as soon as I got that job, started laying plans for what that next step was. Mm-hmm. Looked at my budget and I looked, saw that about half my income was going towards rent, utilities, housing kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, crazy question. What if I could just eliminate this line item? Mm. Right. Like what if it was just gone? I don't know how that's going to be possible. Obviously no one wants to pay like a mortgage fee, right? Like if we could just figure out a way not to, that would be great. So I I knew that it was going to be challenging to say the least, but I knew if I could figure out something, the gains would be huge. 
It would be reducing my expenditures every month by 50%, which means I could save, I could pay off debt, I could, you know, do a lot of things uh, to build my life. So that's when I fell on to the concept of tiny homes. And this was very early days with tiny houses. There wasn't a lot of information out there. So that was kind of the genesis of the website. I was like, hey, I want to do this. I know other people want to do it as well. I'm going to tell my story along the way and maybe someone will read it. Yeah. Lo and behold, a lot of people want to read it. And then it kind of became a thing. Yeah. So from the time that I uh, was, you know, laid off at that job to when I moved into my tiny house was about four years. Oh, okay. Um, and that was just like saving money, getting out of debt. Figuring out how to do it. I mean, there's so much that goes into yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And then I also kind of had a couple other life simplification goals I wanted to do. So I was doing a lot of things mm-hmm. all in those four years. So it just took some time to actually achieve. So like I wanted to be location independent. I, I wanted to work remotely, whether it was for myself or someone else, you know, and that was in a time where that wasn't very popular mm-hmm. um, or even accepted. So it was very difficult to find a job like that. Ultimately, I ended up doubling down the website and you know, that became my employment at that point. So I had freedom of my schedule, freedom of location. I had at that point built a tiny house. So my finances were way reduced and that's kind of began the journey. This is a great story. And I'm I'm going to point to a couple of observations I had while you were talking. You know, I think people are listening to something like that and they say, well, that guy did it right, but I can't do it that way because, and then they fill in the blank. Mm. There are limitations, there are obstacles. But as you're talking, I picked up on a couple of things I think that maybe helped you along in your journey. The first was when you first started in that job and you were following the culture narrative and you were taking all the right steps and doing everything you're supposed to do, it occurred to you, you just had a a feeling, this is not really what I wanted and this is not necessarily the way of the future. You just let that in and you weren't immediately looking for answers. You just kind of let that in and you let that simmer. That's the first thing. Yeah, You allowed an opening for something else. Just that. That's all you had to do at that point, right? And then life came along and it sort of made a decision before you. And you had that second glimmer that says, you know, what if I didn't have these half of my income had to go to housing? Just what if? And Mm -hmm. you said yourself, I didn't know how, Mm -hmm. but I just asked the question, what if? And you didn't let the how shut that thought down. Mm -hmm. You left it open. So I hear those two things of being your gift of just letting yourself be with something that you wanted to change, but not having to have the answer right away. And I think that's really, Mm. really helpful to people listening. And they might be having those little glimmers or those little ideas, but they don't let it go anywhere because they're so stopped by how. Mm -hmm. Right. So anyway, those are my observations. No, that that's insightful. I, I wish I had those kind of thoughts back then. That, <laughs> you did. Uh, yeah. I, I guess you didn't I, frame I fell them. into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think that's, that's a real gift of like who you are as a person and, and something you have to bring to people too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just that little piece of your story. Yeah. Because ultimately I knew I was at that point at the very beginning of my career, right? Six months in, Mm -hmm. I was 23 years old, no real responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Not really. Not like, you know, some adults have Mm -hmm. like kids and a house and all that kind of stuff. And I knew if I didn't make that change then in that moment, I was going to have to, it was only going to get more difficult. Right. 
as time goes on. And then also I was going to have less time to build up to where I was getting to, Mm -hmm. right. That's just going to take time. Mm-hmm. And then also I don't get to enjoy the benefits. Mm-hmm. The longer I delay, the less I have to enjoy those benefits. So, well, I think yeah. that's true at any age at 23, 33, 53, yep. 63, just do, just do the thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, you were saying like, you know, there's a lot of people that have these perceptions of like, Hey, I'm too old. Mm-hmm. I got all these things calm reasons, mm-hmm. calm excuses. You can call them whatever I, you know, it doesn't really matter. Right. But they're, the things that you need to figure out and everyone's gonna have a unique challenge. Everyone's going to have some cross to bear. We're all going to have things stacked against us. I think there just needs to be some stubbornness or or just be like, you know, what's like, screw it. This is my life. It's too short. Mm -hmm. This matters too much. I'm playing to win Mm -hmm. and just not let those kinds of things enter into your mind or Mm -hmm. just push right through them. You're like, these things are against me, but I'm going to figure out how Mm -hmm. to do it because I like my life matters. The people I love matter too much. What I'm trying to do matters too much. What do you think was a really big for you going back? You talk about you you felt relatively open and and you know willing to because you were like young and unencumbered. But what what were some of those big challenges that you think could have possibly stopped you, but that you did push through? I think the debt. Mm-hmm. I was pretty smart with my money. I went to like a small state college, about as affordable of an education as you can get. But I did have a student loan with that. Yeah, and so. I was like, I want that off my plate. It was not a lot of money because Mm -hmm. like, I think my student loan was Mm $23,000 all told. So, and I also like uh, in my master's program, I worked full time while I was going to school full time. So Mm -hmm. I basically lived like a pauper and just paid as much as I could. So $23,000 for undergrad and grad, which is not a lot. Right. Um, in comparison to what I, I hear some people doing. Yeah. And so I was just like, man, you know, like if I, I just need to make this my focus. So those mm-hmm. four years, a lot of it was just like head down, working hard. Paying down um, that and debt. then I, yeah. And I had to make a lot of hard decisions in that, like with things I do with my friends. Mm-hmm. I remember I wrote my first book and I got my first royalty check. It was nice. Like, I mean, I was just really proud of it, right? A lot mm-hmm. of work went into that book. And I was seeing some of those benefits. And I remember holding the check and I was making a decision. And it was, I could pay off my student loan right now, or I could go with my family to Italy on a trip they were already going to. Oh. And I was like, and I paid off my student loan. Oh, wow. And then now years later, they're like, <laughs> oh, right. You remember when we were in Italy? I was like, no, I wasn't there. They're like, oh, that's right. You weren't there. I'm like, Aww. oh, gosh. <laughs> Have you been right. able to get back to Italy since? Oh, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> Funny. Okay. So maybe this is a lesson, right? Yeah. Like I chose to pay off that student loan, Mm -hmm. which got me in a much better financial position, which meant that I could take some of the money invested back into my website, which meant I had, you know, this entrepreneurial venture that I built up. And then I was able to go travel like no one that I know, except for maybe retired people. I think like two or three years into my tiny house, like living, I spent six months in Europe. Oh, wow. And just like hung out. And I lived in Croatia for a couple of months. Oh, my God. Uh, I lived in Australia a little bit. I've gone on like big road trips for like six, eight weeks in the US, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I gave up two weeks 
with my family Mm -hmm. in Italy. And I got to go on so many more trips with my family and Mm -hmm. and on my own and other people. So yeah, it like the compound effect was real there. Wow. You mentioned you had some life simplification goals. So I remember wanting to work, you know, remotely. And at that time, the potential of me working remotely and having more control over my schedule is very difficult to find a traditional job with that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, this job doesn't exist. Yeah. It's up to me to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when I was like, hmm, okay, maybe I should try to do something with this this website. And I remember making that decision. And then for two and a half years, I would work from 8 a.m. to like five or six at my traditional job. I would come home and make a sandwich. And I sit down and from like 6.30 until one o'clock in the morning, six days a week for two and a half years, I worked on my website and, you know, had to pass up going out with friends, doing fun things. You know, there was just, it was heads down for two Mm -hmm. and a half years. Um, I gave myself really one day off. I worked from eight until 1 a.m. for two and a half years. Wow. And that was the price I was willing to pay to make this happen. I think it's a Dave Ramsey quote, like, you know, live your life like no one else will. So you can live the rest of your life like no one else can. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very true. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. So you talked about this period of time when you were building up to the point, you you were in this transition, you were building up to the point of moving into your tiny house and cutting down your expenses and all that. And you mentioned you had some life simplification goals. So you've already described expenses. Yeah. You didn't take the Mm -hmm. big family trip and you, you didn't go out with your friends because you had your head down and you're working on the website and building this entrepreneurial venture. So you would have the freedom. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you would say about this simplification of your life in during that time? Yeah. I mean, with moving into a tiny house, I went from like an 1,000 square foot apartment to 150 square feet. Oh, wow. <gasps> That's a very yeah. tiny house. 150. It's a very small space. And I was nervous about it because like, I invested so much of my time, money and effort in that point, right? Like I, I built this house myself. I was a white collar desk worker. Mm-hmm. I have no trades mm-hmm. experience whatsoever. And I figured out how to build an entire house with all that that goes into that. So I did that. Mm. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And then I moved into this space and it, you know, there was a lot of I felt like there was a lot riding on it. So I was very nervous about like, okay, what if after all this I move in and I absolutely hate it? You know, that was a real potential. And so what I said was, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to move in and I'm going to live there no matter what for two years. And the reason why two years was that was the break even point. If I were to have rented an apartment, that money would equate to the money I put into the house. So if I lived in the house for two years, there was no rent with that then at least I would break even. I could walk away, no problem. The surprising thing that I found was that because it was a house that I built from the ground up and I designed it to match my lifestyle very specifically, that it was actually one of the most comfortable spaces I've ever lived in. Wow! And that was a surprise even to me, right? I think... 150 square feet seems very, very small. I'll put the caveat here. Like at that time I lived alone. So like I didn't have to share the space with anyone. There are couples that do it. Mm -hmm. 
There's families that have bigger, tiny houses, but they still do it, you know, dogs, cats, you name it. But I I found the space to be very small. And then in that process to kind of continue with this simplification is, you know, obviously I had to pare down a lot of my belongings. I think in college and early career, I was very, I liked gadgets. I liked buying things. I liked shopping, all those kinds of things. Never to the point where like I would rack up credit card debt or anything like that, but I enjoyed participating in consumer things. And I just knew that in this stage, I was going to have to pare down stuff. I was also trying to save money as much as I could because I was trying to pour it all into getting out of debt and then building this house. And that experiment, I guess you could say, untrained me from a lot of consumers' tendencies. So I broke that habit of just going shopping and buying things just ad hoc, like not not thinking about it. And then I think once I moved into it, I kind of dovetailed me moving into the tiny house with leaving my corporate job. And so I redid my entire wardrobe. So I didn't have professional dress anymore because wasn't going to an office. So there's half my wardrobe gone. And then, you know, we're on video here, but people listening, like I have a great t-shirt on. This is the great t-shirt that I always wear. I have 20 or 30 of this exact t-shirt. I have basically a minimalist uniform. So I don't choose clothes in the morning. I literally just stick my hand in the closet, grab whatever's on top because it's all the same. So I have exactly the same shirt, exactly the same shorts, exactly the same pants and two pairs of shoes. So that's two kind of concrete examples of life simplification. And then being, working for myself, my schedule is very, very flexible choices within the business that I made. There were certain things that I knew I could make good money at, but I rejected because they would require me to be like at a certain place, doing a certain thing at a certain time, right? Those kinds of kind of restraints. I was just like, I'm going to reject that and the money that comes with it. But what it means is that generally I don't have meetings. I don't have to be anywhere at any time. I don't have to do anything at a specific time. I still have to do my work, but it kind of ebbs and flows and works around what the life I have. It's supporting my life, not me supporting the work. Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability. We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, we've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code The Good Dirt in our online marketplace. So use the code The Good Dirt, T H E G O O D D I R T, at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer Online Marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. 
That's so interesting. And that takes a lot of self-awareness and really being honest with yourself and what you want out of life and what you need, you know, to have your needs covered. I think that's really interesting that you said your 150 square foot space ended up being one of the most comfortable places you'd ever lived because you had paid attention to what you need and how you wanted to live. I was watching a couple of videos Mm -hmm. on your YouTube channel and you were interviewing. It was a quick little clip from someone you were interviewing and you said like, what's advice that you would give someone who wants to build a tiny house? And she said, become your own anthropologist, Mm -hmm. which I think is a little bit what you're saying, which is like become the observer of how you use space and what makes you happy and what makes you comfortable. And then if you really hone in on those things and design the space, so it sounds like you were a very good anthropologist to yourself (laughs) and you were able to accomplish that, which is really cool. And I think that that's really applicable to so many things for everyone listening, whether or not you're in a tiny house. It's a lot of what we talk about here about slow living and slowing down and just paying more attention and realizing how many things don't matter, (laughs) (laughs) how actually easy it is to cut out some of that excess and ultimately be more happier and fulfilled with much less. Yeah. I think you really have to train yourself and get build the habit of questioning a lot of things and it'll be our natural tendency to dismiss things saying like, well, that's just how it is. Right. Yes. And I think to your point earlier, it's like, I was willing to say like, how could I change or fix this housing issue? Right. Yeah. It still seems crazy that I was that bold or audacious to be like, what if I just didn't pay my housing costs? Right. Like that, that's obscene. Right. Like it just doesn't make sense. And of course you have to pay, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. But I was willing to ask the question and then I found out this crazy little loophole answer, whatever you want to call it. So practically how I do that kind of in my daily life is I always ask, or a little mantra, I guess is probably a better way to say it. Like say, fix what bothers you. So like if there is something that's just a little bit annoying in your daily life, just like as you're going along, Just be like, stop. What is it that I don't like about this? Let's stop right now and fix it right now. And Mm -hmm. you can do this with big things like your housing. You could do this in daily things like with your job or how you're in meetings or whatever, or like the little things. So one example I like to give is in the morning, I like to make eggs. And I remember having a whisk that... I don't know. I, I bought it when I was like in college. It was like the cheapest whisk you ever could buy because I was so broke mm-hmm. at that point. And I just had it and kept it. And I hated it, using it every single morning. It was kind of rusty. The handle was like way too small because it was, you know, they, it was so cheap. Yeah. Everything about it, like it didn't feel good in your hand. It's just an unpleasant experience to use it. But I make eggs every single morning. Okay. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I hate using this whisk. I use it every single morning. Whisks are $5 on Amazon right yeah, now. Yeah. Like I can go buy the best whisk for $10. <laughs> um, you know, but it was just a willingness to stop and be like, what about this whisk? I don't like, let's go find a better whisk. Boom, phone, done. Yeah. Now I have a great whisk that I use every single morning. <laughs> That's a great lesson. Yeah. And you know, okay, I love this so much because number one, it speaks to something that we talk about in our book, The Lady Farmer God to Slow Living. And there's a whole section in there about just what you're saying, a little different words, but the same thing. If you can learn to observe how you feel, Mm-hmm. In any given moment, it's just self observation, self awareness. And you might feel irritated or anxious or whatever. And most of the times, you might not even notice. You're just, it's your usual busy self, kind of being in a hurry or being 
mildly unhappy or, you know, you just, you don't even identify. You just know you're not completely Mm -hmm. peaceful, right? Right. And just take a second. Just, you are describing with that whisk. What is it that's bothering me at this moment? Is it that cluttered table over there? Is it the way that chair is facing or if something's like blocking a pathway in my house you or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, and you're yeah. mad. Yeah. <laughs> and I think so often is it's not all the time, but often it has to do with our surroundings and the things and around stuff. us and our stuff. Yeah. And we blame it on our people, the people we live with, we, you mm-hmm. know, we, we blame our unrest Mm-hmm. on things that it's really not about. It's really about things you can fix so easily and look for that place of peace and feeling better. And in that way, those moments of like irritation or frustration or whatever you want to call it are actually really great teachers because it's pointing out things that you can like one step closer to being not annoyed. <laughs> well, you know, our life is just, life is made up in a series of moments, you know? Mm-hmm. And when we find ourselves in those moments, not feeling the way we want to feel, it's so valuable, as you're describing. Just mm-hmm. try to observe what it is and see what you can do to fix it. It doesn't have to be a divorce, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and arguably, I think a lot of those things, right? Like, we see them as trivial. Mm-hmm. But if we actually, like, we're able to understand all the, the way that the world works and connections and things like that, yeah. It's probably an aggregate of those things compounded yeah. over time that make us a little bit less happy, which means we're maybe a little bit short with our spouse, which means we're not showing up in the relationship, which could lead to a divorce, right? right. Yeah. So it's like all these little things kind of have a cumulative effect. Yeah. So might as well try to fix the things you can. And usually they're simple, easy solutions. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, it's true. And it just takes being able to observe and and being open to change. I thought of another one, laundry. Mm. Almost all of us have too many clothes. You don't. You've got it figured out. (laughs) (laughs) But almost all of us have too many clothes. And how many of us people out there are driven to distraction, anxiety, overwhelm, and everything, and all of that, because they have too many clothes lying around. They can't launder them all, keep them all folded, keep them all whatever. And really, the solution to that is have less clothes. That's so simple, but it's hard mm-hmm. for people to, partly because of our, you know, and this is a whole nother rabbit hole, but, you know, the system that encourages us to buy too much, mm-hmm. which yeah. brings up another point that I wanted to get back to. You used the word untrained, untraining. You said you had to untrain yourself in certain ways of thinking. I think this is really, really valuable because, of course, related to what we're talking about, but so many thoughts are automatic. Yeah. And one of those thoughts, I think, in our society is like, okay, it's Saturday. What are we going to do today as a family? Well, I'm older than you guys, but in my day, it was like, well, we'll go to the mall. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things that you did as entertainment. Or now it might be, well, we're going to go somewhere. So it usually has to do with a destination that includes consuming. Mm-hmm. Is that safe to say? Yeah. yeah. It's sort of automatic. And so we can untrain ourselves to think in our free time, we do something other than consume, buying or consuming mm-hmm. or going out yeah. to eat even or, you know, there's so many other decisions to be made. And I think people are headed in that direction. But the act of just catching yourself in your assumptions about what to do with number one, your time, number two, your surroundings, number three, your money, not necessarily in that order, but just all of these things. Yeah. Um, one little kind of exercise that people can do, and they can do this in a scaled down version, but do a no buy a week, two weeks, yeah. a month, right? I 
had this harebrained idea of doing no buy year. And mm. uh, it was one year. I set some rules. So like, obviously I could go buy groceries. Like I could replace, like if I had toilet paper and I ran out of it, I could go buy new toilet paper consumables that you used up. And then I think I allowed one exception of books. I love books. And I was like, okay, this is actually like a productive mm-hmm. thing that contributes to my mental health and things like that. Like I'm learning things. So I was like, okay, books are, I'll allow myself to buy like a book a month or something like that. But other than that, I said no purchasing at all. And I did that for a year. And what I did was I kept a list of the things that I did want to buy. And it was amazing. You know, people listening are probably like, this guy lives in a tiny house. He has basically no clothes. Um, (laughs) He lives 100 square feet. He can't have anything. And like, this guy's got it made, right? Like he's got this like whole minimalism thing down pat. I still fell into the trap of like wanting to buy things. And my list, I was surprised. I mean, it wasn't big. I think most people would probably be larger, but I was surprised that at the end of the year, I had 13 items on that list. And when I looked back at all of them, 12 of them, I was like, I don't know why I want that. I looked back and I was like, I understand like why in the moment I did. And it was usually tied with some like unmet expectation or like trying to solve a problem that really wasn't a problem. And that product probably wouldn't have fixed that problem or something like that. Right. All these consumer hooks that they had. in Yeah. And so, yeah, after 12 months, there was only one thing that I did still want to buy. And I went out and bought it, but you know, 94, whatever that percentage is, 95, 80, whatever of the things were just like totally useless. And I wouldn't have used them past like a week or so. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, you don't have to do it a year, but (laughs) try two weeks, right? Yeah. Set set the rules for you. I have a a post on on my site. You can check out kind of my rules, but uh, that was one way that I untrained, tried to like untrain myself and then just gave me some time to kind of reflect on it. Another thing too is there's a little known feature within Amazon. You can export a spreadsheet of everything you bought oh. in a year. Oh. And that's horrifying for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I mean, my list was pretty short still, but I went through that. I downloaded the spreadsheet, pulled it in. And I said, like, am I still using this? Right. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. And then I had another column. Do I regret buying this? Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. And it was interesting, like 80% of the stuff I'm not using right after a year. And I would say 50% I regretted buying. Wow. Right. And that's me as a minimalist. That is so brave. You just skimmed (laughs) over the fact that you just did that. That's like going through your own garbage or something like yeah, yeah, yeah. so well the anthropology thing right yeah data yeah it, i'm a data nerd i love data but i think that was a interesting exercise that anyone can do right now wow it's right on your amazon account if you're brave so are you <laughs> gonna tell us the one item you ended up buying yeah you don't oh, have to yeah you know everyone asked that it was a pocket knife oh um, I, practical I, yeah yeah exactly and um it was something that i i'd wanted I had always used cheap pocket knives and it was kind of tied to this, like the whisk thing, right? I had a pocket knife that was just cheap. I didn't really like, but I carried it most days. And I was like, you know what? I want a nice knife. And that mm-hmm. that's what I decided. And so I bought it for me for, for my birthday, for myself. Mm-hmm. And I carry it with me every single day now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure it's an integral part of your lifestyle. So Something that you said about looking back at the list that you wanted and thinking in the moment how it would make sense to you that you would want that, something really resonated because I think I do this. You said to solve a problem that at the moment I thought was a problem but ended up not being like, 
I think yeah. most of us are super reactive all the time, right? And mm-hmm. myself included. And I am definitely one to, if there's a problem, we're going to fix it. And usually because of the world we live in, we can purchase our solution very easily. And, you know, they're all listening and we're on our computers <laughs> and the, that solution is served right up to us. And it's really easy to click mm-hmm. and solve that problem. And so it really does feel in the moment, it feels like you're being productive and proactive or whatever. Mm. But usually like with most problems, they're not actually that bad of problems or they're solvable in another way. If you take like a little bit more time and creativity to think about it some more. So that was really helpful for me to hear. I will be thinking about that. Yeah. So when you looked over your list of things that you ended up not needing, Mm -hmm. was it because the impulse had passed or because the need had passed or is there a generalization you can make there? It falls into two camps. One, Mm -hmm. the impulse passed that I still fall prey to that sometimes. Right. And, and like, that's, what you were just talking about, like, you know, you, in the moment you're feeling this need and you want to solve it kind of thing. And then I think also the other camp that it fell into was I realized the thing that I was considering buying to fulfill whatever perceived need I had in that moment or problem or whatever, you, however you want to phrase it, that it wasn't actually going to solve my problem. So I kind of do this little exercise called the five whys. And I this is from like a lean manufacturing thing, but it works in, in minimalism. Is you basically ask yourself why five times. All right. So I want this $90 Lacoste t-shirt, right? Ridiculous. Well, why do I want it? Okay, I want it because it's trendy and fashionable. Okay, well, why do you care that it's trendy and fashionable? Oh, because I want to be seen as someone who is stylish. Okay, why do you want people to see that you're stylish? And he's like, well, because I want to be accepted, mm-hmm. right? I want I want them to like me. And okay, well, why do you want them to like you? He's like, well, ultimately, I want to be loved right? Mm -hmm. Like I want to find love and acceptance in my life. So like, ultimately we do this exercise and we realize, Hey, this product that we thought we wanted does not meet this base need that we have. Mm -hmm. So it may not be as dramatic or or whatever as that example. Yeah. And no, I'm never going to buy a $90 t-shirt. That's obscene. Yeah. But you know, the concept plays out, right? Mm -hmm. We typically buy things because we're looking for something in our life. Yeah. Um, they typically are kind of Maslow hierarchy type of things that we're ultimately trying to achieve. And products are not going to generally fix that for us, right? Right. The, the promise of the marketing says it will, but we know it won't. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that the basis? I mean, I'm no economist, but just from the standpoint of your basic consumer person, the basis of capitalism is you need this. You need this thing and that's why you need to buy it. So I think we're kind of trained. We go back to the untraining thing. Mm -hmm. We're Mm -hmm. kind of trained to seek solutions for the problems in our lives, including our unhappiness, our feeling of not being loved or accepted or whatever. We think we can buy that in some product out there. And that's Mm how our culture has been brainwashed that you can buy your solutions. Yep. So because of my website, like I've done like, consulting on the side for like marketing kind of initiatives. And the standard playbook for marketing is this, we identify your target audience, right? Your potential consumer, you highlight the problem. It's a pass, P-A-S, highlight the problem, 
agitate them around that problem and then you present a solution. Mm -hmm. And the key element here and that is that middle point, the agitation, right? We're trying to get someone to identify a problem and then we're going to agitate them to the point where they're in an emotional state to buy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very manipulative. Call it influence, you call it manipulation, you call it whatever you want. It is the cornerstone of all marketing. We have a lot of fancy other ways to do this. And we have all the technical bits of targeting with ads and everything mm -hmm. like that and email campaigns and podcasts, things like that. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, like that's the crux of it is we're trying to wrench emotional levers around problems and agitate those problems and then presents potential solutions, which are usually the benefit of the company, mm -hmm. not always the person. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's true. I hate in marketing too. I've always hated that <laughs> the, the phrase pain point. Yep. I mean, it makes sense. I can't think of a better one to reference what we're talking about. But yeah, it's kind of awful that you have, you know, play to their pain point. What's the point out the pain point? And it's like, it feels like a voodoo doll. Like you're <laughs> literally pricking yeah. people where it hurts. Like anything, it can be done ethically it mm -hmm. can be done with the best intentions and then it can also be bastardized to the next level right yeah and really just abused um so it's not that marketing i don't think is all inherently evil sure yeah but and maybe i'm just rationalizing because that's what i do yeah but us too <laughs> yeah i'm sitting here thinking how can we you know like in our system you know we have to sell things to even do what yeah, we exactly. do yeah so so how do you sell things without manipulating people well our answer to that would be offer things that they really truly need Mm -hmm. um, yeah. but you know what are those things and then how do you get enough eyes on it you really need love and acceptance yeah, you can give them that. <laughs> Pay us. But that doesn't really cost anything when you I come. Know. To, you know, how I do you know. put a value on that? So I'm curious, Ryan. What kinds of things do you buy? Mm. Food. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like food. I cook most of my meals myself. Yeah. Do you grow stuff? Yeah. So actually, where I'm at now, I only have a small garden. I'm on a like a small urban lot, but I have purchased land, like a big acreage in the mountains, mm. where it's unrestricted land to build out a full-fledged homestead cool that is kind of like next steps i used to grow a lot of my own food i had chickens i had bees i mean quail you name it so i loved doing that i ran as like kind of side work with a nonprofit. i ran like a whole network of community gardens and we did like gardening education it was so much fun i loved every single bit of it and i was like okay i really want to do this for my life or you know like as part of my life mm -hmm. then it had a natural dovetail with the website because we talk about simple living and homesteading I view as one way to live simply mm -hmm. uh, so yeah that's kind of the next stage in the journey is I have the land now I'm saving up for like all the projects that we're going to do build a house there and things like that mm -hmm. so back to things you're buying so you yeah. probably oh, buy yeah, things yeah. for your projects tools yep. and, yeah yeah projects, those kinds of things, food. I read a lot of books. So I read about 60 books a year. So do you have like any lot. tech? Do you <laughs> yeah, have like you, a like Kindle or yeah. you know something to that you don't have to physically house and real you know real estate to keep the books that sort of thing? Yeah, so typically books that I like like self-help business books kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I usually get those in hard copy. And I use these little metal marker things so that I can reuse them. And what I do is I, as I'm reading, I mark, mark good points. Mm -hmm. And then a nerd that I am, I like do book reports on these books afterwards. <laughs> and I like type up my notes and 
That's inspirational. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then what I try to do is after I'm done taking the notes, I take off those little metal things so I can reuse them. But then I have as a practice, like thinking about, okay, who would benefit from this book now that I've finished it? Like now that I know about it, who do I think in my life could benefit from reading it? And I take that book and I give it to them. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's kind of my process. Oh, that's great. So but circling back to next steps. So tell us where you are now. Are you in the tiny house and do you have a family now? And just catch us up, catch us up. So I've been living in the tiny house full time for almost nine years. Right before COVID, I met somebody and we had like relationship like went well. So I actually just moved in with her in her house because we couldn't move into my house, obviously 150 (laughs) square feet. And she has a dog and a cat and a couple other animals. So it wasn't going to work at under 50. But the next stage is basically building a small house up on this homestead. And, you know, we're going to establish that chickens, you know, a shop, all that kind of stuff, gardens, take it to the nines, basically. So is the tiny house just sitting emptied right now? So yeah, like I literally just moved into her house. house. Cool. Four weeks ago. Yeah, so Uh, it's very new. Okay. Um, So it's the office that I'm in is bigger than my house. Yeah. And how has that been? That must be a big adjustment. What does that feel like? It's like, wow, I got a lot of space. But it's interesting because this is more of an urban lot. So it's probably like an eighth of an acre or something like that. I came, my tiny house is on 32 acres. And And that's where you had all the bees and the gardens and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the bigger adjustment is your environment probably. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And the land that I was on, it was dense hardwoods. And so it was just like, I was, I felt like I was in the forest all the, I was in the forest Mm -hmm. all the time. And it has this little pond on it that legit looks like Walden's Pond. Like you couldn't get more. And so, yeah, it is a little bit of an adjustment, but we have the eye towards the future as well. We love this house. Like this house is amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's fun to live a little bit more urban life. We can walk to places and things like that. Um, obviously we're excited about the relationship as well. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and and maybe this is a point with tiny houses, like it can be your forever home. But initially when I said it was a stepping stone, it was a stepping Mm -hmm. stone to more debt-free living. So this allowed me to not pay rent or mortgage so I could save up to build a house with cash mm-hmm. or as close to it as possible. I calculated how much rent and utilities I would have paid because my tiny house is paid for, no cost. Mm-hmm. The land on it, I paid like $50 in taxes a year on it. My and gosh. I was on solar. So no utility payments. The amount of money I saved has eclipsed six figures at this point. Wow. Wow. And that all went to the land, right? Yeah. So that's just a huge win. Yeah. And that was nine years, you said? Yeah, about nine years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I did some other stuff too, of course, like traveling and business stuff and all that. But yeah, just know that like the decisions that you make now don't have to be forever. Yeah. They just need to be right for right now. And, you know, you think about what is next and it may be you stay in a tiny house. It may be debt-free living, whatever it is. Just know that things change. There's seasons to life. And uh, you got to pivot with those types of things. Yeah, that's great. Do you go back to your tiny house and what about all the animals and stuff? Did you disperse all that when you moved? Yeah, so um, I was able to like give them to friends and things like that. I have beehives still there that someone keeps after. And then we moved like a bunch of the garden plants here. Yeah. So that that kind of stuff. Those are very wise words. Like you, you don't hold your, you don't freeze yourself into a certain 
mindset or a lifestyle mm-hmm. or something. You have to be fluid because life is fluid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, let yourself have seasons. We talk about seasonal living mm-hmm. all the time. So, yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up COVID <laughs> because I was going to say, like, way back early in the conversation we, when you were talking about thinking about how you wanted to spend your life and your days and your schedule and all that. I think COVID has really given light to those same kinds of thoughts and for a lot of people like suddenly they weren't having these terrible commutes mm-hmm. they had a, they were at home more they had a little more autonomy maybe or agency over how they spent the hours of their day yep. they did and i think you know coming over onto the other side of that people are really evaluating these things a lot more definitely and i think we're kind of on some level we're sort of going through a societal adjustment of that, of people mm-hmm. being more aware, like, what do I do every day and why? Yeah. I wrote a post on the website called, uh, you've quit your job, now what? Yeah. And it's about basically like, you know, with the great resignation, like there's a lot of people resigning or leaving their jobs or just rethinking, like you were saying, right? Yeah. COVID was a black swan event. It turned our world upside down for many of us, or at least got us to like stop for a second yeah you know we weren't running off to stores because we weren't really shopping Mm -hmm. we weren't running off to work because well we're working from home Mm -hmm. we had more family time and that was either good or bad depending Mm -hmm. on your situation right yeah and then you know there was also like a little bit of fear i think especially in the beginning it was like we don't know what this covid thing really is we just know that it could be dangerous it could be deadly Um, we've gotten better information now so we kind of understand the edges of, of the situation a little bit better but like you know, it just like kind of raised the stakes for a little bit and made us get some clarity on what is important. And then we had that time to be with our kids or stay at home with our family or just have more family time and just bring some clarity to the situation. So yeah, I think COVID has had a lot of unintended consequences and some obviously very bad, but there's, I think also some really good things that came out of it as well. Yeah. What does the good dirt mean to you? <laughs> I saw this question coming up and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, the maybe the literal answer here is like, I always, when I taught like gardening classes, I would always tell people about like, you know, fundamentally, if you raise good soil, you're going to raise good gardens. And, you know, it's basically doing the work up front, setting the stage and building a solid foundation mm-hmm. for your garden. And maybe that's a, a metaphor for life, right? Yeah, sure. Let, let's build a good foundation. Let's make sure that we we have our ducks in a row. Uh, think critically about that. And then mm-hmm. all that, everything else after that is built off of that that work up front. Oh, thank you. That's great. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like the listeners to understand about the work that you do or anything else you want to leave us with today? I mean, I think we touched on it, but, you know, think critically about the choices that you make in your life, whether it's with work, with your housing, with whatever. Be bold and daring enough to ask crazy questions and challenge those assumptions and be willing to incur some costs to make changes in a positive direction for your life. Mm, that's good advice. Yeah. That can be probably maybe the scariest thing for people. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more we could talk about with you, Ryan. You know, we need to have you back on sometime because your website is so full of great information and you you can teach people about gardening and yeah. homesteading. And- yeah. But how can people find you and interact with you? Yeah. Yeah. So the best way is thetinylife.com. So thetinylife.com, we talk about simple living, which we have three main content areas, tiny houses, 
minimalism and homesteading. So various ways you can live a simple life. Uh, We talk a little bit of just general lifestyle stuff too, but yeah, there's a lot of like really practical stuff. Obviously we've kind of made a name for ourselves, tiny houses. So if you're at all interested in tiny houses, we have thousand plus articles, a couple million words on every aspect of tiny houses. We also have some really great minimalism stuff and we've gotten a few, I don't know, like two, three dozen great articles on homesteading stuff. And that's kind of our next push. As I start to build out this homestead, I'm going to kind of tell that that story and share that journey there. Super cool. And since you're such an avid reader, who are some of your biggest inspirations and and who do you like mm. to go back to or who has yeah. really changed oh. your outlook on stuff? You're going to put me on the spot. So <laughs> You referenced Dave Ramsey. That's a good one for money stuff. Yeah. So D- Dave Ramsey is a really good one. Um, I'm just kind of looking through my books right now on Amazon sci-fi books. So if anyone likes sci-fi, Adrian Tchaikovsky, Children of Time is probably one of my favorite books of all time. Cool. That's a sci-fi book. And then... Do you read so much? I don't I don't read as much as you do, but I do listen to a lot of books. And sometimes I don't even know what the book's called or who wrote it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, That's one terrible. of the books I'm reading... <laughs> yeah, I, I really do. I, I, I read so many books. But The Comfort Crisis... Okay. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. It's by Michael Easter, I think is how you say his name. Uh, And it basically just talks about how, you know, people are getting very comfortable with their lives and with modern society, like everything is just very like easy and simple. We don't have to like go out and like grow our own food, for example, Mm. that's all provided to us just in a, in a grocery store. We could just go buy things for, you know, just a few dollars. Mm -hmm. Another book that I'm reading right now is too soon old too a late smart Gordon Livingston. Mm -hmm. And it's a really short book, but it just really packs a punch. I really am enjoying this. I'm almost done with it, but it's basically, he's a therapist and um, he's kind of later in life. He's had a military career, a business career, and a lot of like time doing therapy work with his clients. And this is just like distilled advice that he has. Very good book. So those are two off the top of my head. Cool. That's cool. We'll put them in the notes. So Ryan, thank you so much for coming to talk with us today. It was fascinating. There's so much more we could talk about, but we really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me here. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Good Dirt today, Good Dirt listeners, and tuning in week after week. We're so grateful to all of you for helping us keep the show going. If you're not already following us, we're on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer, and we're also online at LadyFarmer.com. You definitely want to sign up for our newsletter and explore our online marketplace and just get excited about all of the awesome things we have going on. We can't wait to see more of you around. Yes, and don't forget to check out our online membership community, the Almanac. And thank you so much, Ryan, for being such an inspiring example this week. We really enjoyed it. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much. Bye.